0: Our scripture for today is Galatians, chapter five, verses 22 and 23. This very familiar description of the Holy Spirit at work in our life as he has, as his sovereign and gracious purpose to create us into the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The passage goes like this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It happens on occasions when I'm preaching a funeral that I will say over the life that we are celebrating something like this, the fruit of the Spirit was sweet in his life. The fruit of the Spirit was sweet in her life. Then go on to explain why that is so. We need to ask ourselves the question, is the fruit of the Spirit sweet in my life? Is it sweet in your life? The reason I raise the question is because beginning today, I would like for us to think through and pray through the the fruit of God, the Holy Spirit, both in terms of our church and our lives as individuals as we start this new series of sermons. Every single one of us as a believing people need to significantly engage in the cultivation of the Spirit's fruit. I know that I do. After taking some time to look over some of the episodes in my recent life, it is easy for me to see how I need to have the fruit of the Spirit more active and alive in my own life. I think all of us will agree that our marriages and our family life could use the cultivation of the Spirit's fruit. Several years ago, a pastor named Stuart Briscoe finished one Sunday a series of sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. At the end of the service, a woman came up to him and very respectfully asked her pastor, if he would consider preaching a series of sermons on a godly marriage. It was an honest request, and frankly, a very good one. But the pastor decided to show her something of the importance of the fruit of the spirit. And so he said to this woman, I take it that you're not currently in a loving marriage. And she replied, no. Not really. And so you are struggling to have joy and peace in your relationship with your spouse. Right, she said. And so you are impatient and unkind with each other. And she got what he was doing. All along he had been preaching about marriage and family life. None of us will deny that in our relationship with the person we promised to love until death departs us, could really use the fruit of the Spirit, and we could use the fruit of the Spirit in how we love and relate and teach and discipline our children as well. It is equally true to say that every Christian church, and certainly this church, needs to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our ministry and life together and in all of our relationships. We are a people who desperately need to grow in the fruit that God the Holy Spirit promises to work in the lives of all those in whom he dwells. For that reason, I want us to think about and pray the fruit of the Spirit in our lives over many weeks. The place to begin a series on the fruit of the Spirit is simply to say this, The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It is crucial that we note the verse does not read the fruits of the Spirit are. Instead, it reads the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. It is absolutely true that there are nine virtues, but these nine virtues make up a single piece of the Spirit's fruit. You might put it like this, it's nine facets of the same jewel. It's a brilliant cluster. God the Holy Spirit is at work in every believer and in every believing church And he is working all nine of these virtues together in us at the same time. It is certainly appropriate to separate the virtues so that we can think about and talk about each one. But we can never pick and choose the ones we like and want and turn a deaf ear or a blind eye toward the others. We may go into a grocery store and purchase all kinds of fruits. When it comes to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we are not free to pick and choose. And the reason is because there is only one piece of fruit and the Holy Spirit is out to create our lives to taste like that single piece of fruit. Consider for a moment the spiritual gifts the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you can read the New Testament epistles and easily create a somewhat lengthy list. We're taught that every believer has at least one gift and likely several of the gifts. But no believer possesses all of the spiritual gifts. This is simply not true when it comes to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All nine virtues, this this brilliant cluster, this single piece of spiritual fruit is to be on display in our lives. This is no small matter. The fruit of the Spirit is how the Holy Spirit wants your life to look and sound. It is how the Holy Spirit wants your character to taste. So God the Holy Spirit indwells every believer and his purpose is to make our lives taste like his sweet fruit. It's singular, the fruit of the Spirit. Now this brings us to a crucial truth and the second truth here. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ-likeness. It has been well said that when you seriously look at the life of Jesus and you consider the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is a beautiful picture of Jesus. And this is quite easy to see. Consider for a moment the love of Christ. It says in John 13, verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He loved his own people to the end. And that word is a very special one. It means he loved his own people to the uttermost. He loved his own people to the full extent of his love. The love of Christ for us is all-consuming. But what about his joy? In John 15, we have that wonderful statement where the Lord Jesus requires us to abide in Him, to abide in His Word, to cling to Him, to stay close to Him, to draw our very life from Him. And after He commands us to abide in Him, this is what He says. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Jesus is a joyous sovereign. He is a joyous savior. And he gives us his very joy to enter into our lives so that we will have, as Peter says in his epistle, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy of Jesus. But what about peace? In John 14, verse 27, we read, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. In this troubling world, Christ promises us his own peace. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, It is undeniable that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is on display in how he speaks and how he lives. You will never read in the Gospels or epistles of a moment when Jesus was sinfully impatient. Never once did he commit an act of badness. He is the Lord who is always good. And he is full of self control. Do you remember that even he claimed the virtue of gentleness? In Matthew's gospel, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And he is faithful also. In Revelation, he is called the faithful and true witness. The only point I'm seeking to make here is that when you read the life of Jesus in the Gospels and when you see it explained in the epistles, his life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit is to pursue a lifestyle of Christ-likeness. Now there's an interesting verse there In Galatians 4, verse 19, it reads, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's a a sense of anxiety that grips the apostle. He is laboring, longing that Christ be formed in them which is an expression that means that your life takes shape so that it looks like the image of Christ. It characterizes your life in terms of its own Christ-likeness. So again, the fruit of the Spirit is Christ-likeness. Christopher Wright put it this way, what the Spirit of God does above all is to make those who put their faith in Jesus to become more and more like the Jesus they love, trust, and follow. So the more we are filled with God's Spirit and the more the Spirit ripens His fruit within us, the more we become like Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, this single piece of fruit, this beautiful cluster of virtues is essentially Christ-likeness. Now that brings us to a very crucial truth. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ-like. And this is the crucial thing. The fruit of the Spirit is our ultimate purpose. Rather frequently in the Christian faith, we ask questions like, what is our chief end as a believing people? What is to be our overwhelming first? What is to be our highest priority? And throughout the Christian years, people have looked at that question of, of what is absolute, what is the chief end? And they've answered the question in four different ways. One way is to remember that Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. In other words, we are to love God supremely above all else with the totality of our personhood. Another answer frequently given, is to quote Jesus from the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That word first means to seek as a matter of priority. To seek above all else to live loyal to the king for we are in his kingdom and to pursue a lifestyle of righteousness. Then, of course, there are the answers that the catechisms give what is our chief end? It is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But the one that is most often given because the Bible longs that Christ be formed in us, because the Bible tells us Christ in you, the hope of glory, how we're commanded in 1 John 2, 6, to walk like Jesus walked, to live like Jesus lived, that our ultimate purpose is likeness. That's our highest priority. What we need to understand is these four different answers are not at odds with each other. There's no contradiction. There's no uh, competition between these answers. I would argue that it's four ways of stating the same reality. We show, we prove our love for God by living a Christ-like life. To pursue a lifestyle of righteousness, to live right, is to live like Christ. What glorifies God is loving Him and living a Christ-like life for Him. So it is right to settle on this answer, that our ultimate priority is Christ-likeness. Do you see why this matters? When we study the fruit of the Spirit in its Its ninefold beauty, this single beautiful cluster, the fruit of the Spirit, we are taking care of the main thing that we are called to pursue as a believing people. I think that this is such a crucial truth that I want us to hear from two trusted witnesses who are now in heaven. A.W. Tozer writes, God's highest purpose in the redemption of humanity was based in his hope that we would allow him to reproduce the likeness of Jesus in our once sinful nature. And Warren Rearsby writes, God wants us to become like Jesus because there is no higher purpose or goal for us to realize It, that is Christ's likeness, is something that should claim our devotion day after day for the rest of our lives. So it's a singular piece of fruit. And the Holy Spirit is working all nine of those virtues together at the same time. And it's Christ's likeness. You see these realities on display in the life of your Lord. And so we really are taking care of what matters supremely. And with that in mind, there are two actions that are necessary, that are required of us. And here is the first. We must depend on the Holy Spirit. It is, after all, the Spirit's fruit. And we are to depend on him. In the 19th century, a small group of ministers living in Chicago got together to plan uh, an evangelistic campaign for their city. One of their jobs was to decide who they would invite to be the speaker. Obviously, the very first name that was mentioned was D.L. Moody a famous worldwide evangelist at that time, who also pastored in the city of Chicago. One minister who did not want Moody to speak said, why Moody? Does Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? You can imagine there was some uncomfortable silence Finally, one minister decided to break the silence in an attempt at humor. He said, Moody, Moody, Moody. Does Moody have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? Another short pause, and one minister quietly said, no, but it does seem that the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on D.L. Moody. That is exactly what needs to happen in our church and in your life and mine. The Holy Spirit, we must depend on the Holy Spirit to fill us, to control us. We should uh, yield to His guidance. Did you know there's a single verse in Luke 11, verse 13, where Jesus promises this, Ask the Father. And He will give you the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to give you the Holy Spirit to empower you. To use you. To guide you. To create the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And here's the second action. We must pray for the Spirit's fruit. Regularly humbly, aggressively, ask God to work the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There's a prayer that I've been praying for my own life each day for just a few years. It was written by John Stott, who prayed this prayer every morning as he was getting out of bed for 50 years. It goes like this, good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I ask you that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I ask that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I ask that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your sweet fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Oh, glorious God, in three persons, have mercy on me today. And he closed with amen. Did you hear it? Praying for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, praying the sweet fruit of the Spirit into the fabric of His personality and daily life. Oh, I plead with us over the weeks as we work through the Spirit's fruit, take the passages that we will use as a basis for the sermons and the verses. Don't leave the sermons and the passages here in the sanctuary. But take them out into your day and into your week and pray the sweet fruit of the Spirit for your marriage, for yourself, for your church. Oh, how desperate is our need for God the Holy Spirit to produce in us that which makes our lives taste like the sweet fruit of the Spirit. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, these words in this verse are so encouraging that we can live a life of love and joy and peace and so on. That the sweet fruit of the Spirit can enrich us spiritually and enable us to be the kind of husbands and wives and children and and church friends, and Christians that we ought to be. There will always be those episodes when the fruit seems shriveled and the taste not good. Make those kinds of experiences less and less. And may we so abide with Christ and so depend on the fruit of the Spirit that we taste more and more like what brings you glory. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen.